The incarnation is at the center of the world. Our text this morning on this final Sunday of the season of Advent is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you would open our ears and open our eyes to your word. We pray that we would be refreshed by it, but fill us once again with longing for the final coming of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I went down to Charleston, South Carolina, for the Future of Anglicanism Conference. Well, it started raining, and so being from rainless Southern California, I bought the smallest, cheapest umbrella that I could find, hoping the rain would stop soon. But it didn't. In fact, the situation became hopeless as the rain poured down on my tiny umbrella and sloshed down my shoulders, and though my head stayed dry, the rest of my body got drenched. The world was hopeless and drenched in sin and old and tired at the first advent of Jesus. Hope was longing after millennia of hopelessness. When will God come and deliver us? This morning in Matthew chapter 1, we'll look at the advent of new hope. The advent of new hope. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And it says there in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now what I want you to notice in our text this morning is the heavy intrusion of the book of Genesis. We'll see the themes coming forth from the book of Genesis again and again in this text. And first, we see this. If you look at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1, you will see the genealogy of the Christ, tracing his lineage from Abraham forward to Joseph, justifying the fact that he's from the tribe of Judah, that he's from the lineage of David. But this is interesting because it says there in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In the Greek there, the word genealogy is actually genesis. That's the word genesis. And so we could read it this way. The book of the genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now hope had been crushed in the genesis via the fall, but there was a flicker of hope. And it's coming to pass now as Jesus is preparing to come into the world. Now we see here that Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And maybe you might wonder, what is betrothal? Because it's not the same thing as an engagement in our culture. Betrothal in the first century would have unpacked itself this way. It started with an exchange of a ring or jewels. It lasted about a year. And communication between the bride and bridegroom was not direct. They didn't talk to one another, but rather they communicated via the friend of the bridegroom. And you see this theme coming up again and again in Jesus' parables. Ancient Jews didn't date. They were very conservative. And betrothal gave them a time to ensure a good marriage. But in the midst of this, we find that Mary is pregnant by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
Now, I want you to notice this. God, in his predestinating grace, arranged that Joseph would be Mary's husband. Here was a man who was different than most. As I look at this story and think about what he must have gone through, I think how much different he was than me. He was a tender, righteous man. He had options available to him righteously according to the law of God. He could have demanded the highest penalty. He could have called for her to be stoned for adultery according to Deuteronomy 22. As far as he saw before his eyes, and this strange story of this miraculous happening, what could he have done? He could have also broken the betrothal publicly. He could have dropped the punishment down lower. He could have been more merciful and broken the betrothal publicly and put her publicly to shame. He could have also asked for a writ of divorce on thin grounds. This was very popular at the time. Jesus deals with this. Likely some of you have heard this in sermons before or if you've looked in commentaries. But in the first century, a man could write a writ of divorce for something as common or as tedious as his wife burning his meal. He could have done that as well. But what do we see happening here? Here's the facts. His bride was pregnant. They hadn't come together yet. What must have gone through his mind? Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We see that Joseph is a righteous man. We see that Joseph isn't a rash man. Notice what he does here. He considers these things. I think most men would have gotten angry. They would have been concerned for the shame that they would undergo. They would want to react immediately, but Joseph is a righteous man. He had much to consider, and he did consider. And here we see the Genesis intrudes again. The Joseph of the New Testament received dreams like the Joseph of the Old Testament. And here an angel comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, I believe to remind him that he's of the line of David. There was much expectation in the first century that Messiah was about to break on the scene. In a dream, an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not fear. He was probably filled with fear. It was a fearful thing. His betrothed is telling him strange, ridiculous stories about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon her. Now she's pregnant by the power of God. He might have been filled with fear on what would happen. How would you feel as a man looking forward to a future in which you would likely be under a cloud of shame and people always questioning where your son came from? Do not fear, says the angel, to take Mary as your wife. When and how did she get pregnant? She had been with Elizabeth at least three months. The thought had to have crossed his mind. Did something happen during that time? But... This baby's come by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Conceived in here by the Holy Spirit is a baby that is 100% God, 100% man, 100% sinless. Can I hear an amen to that? As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What a grand mystery. What a grand mystery filled with hope for us as the people of God. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people 
from their sins. The name Jesus is confirmed. Mary surely told Joseph about the name of Jesus. It had been brought to her by an angel as well. In fact, that angel was named. His name is Gabriel. Back in Luke chapter 1, in verse 30, it says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And now the angel comes once again. I believe it's probably Gabriel once again comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him the facts of the matter. This is a miraculous child, and you shall name him Jesus. You know, it's fascinating that Gabriel's the one that comes and brings these messages in the New Testament. Why do you think that is? There's only two angels that are named in the scriptures. Gabriel and Michael, and they're both spoken of back in the Old Testament prophetic books, in particular in Daniel and Ezekiel. We see Gabriel's name there in Daniel, Gabriel, and Michael. Michael is spoken of to Daniel as the prince of your people or your prince. Many have speculated that Michael was the archangel who guarded the people of God of the Old Testament Israel and that Gabriel is the overseer of the nations. So it is fitting that Gabriel would come and make this announcement and come to Joseph and Mary and tell them the facts of the matter and you shall name this child Jesus. You will bear a son and his name will be Jesus. Yehoshua. Joshua. Which unpacked means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves his name tells you his mission he will save from sin not from human enemies nor from simply the penalties of sin but he will save his people from their sin he will fulfill the proto-evangel and once again Genesis intrudes in our story here he will save Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 as we see the curse pronounced upon the serpent, but a blessing to the woman. It says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. He shall come and crush the serpent's head. He will defang the power of sin and death. He will save his people from their sin. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall fulfill the prophetic utterance of Isaiah in 7, verse 14. And as our Nicene Creed says, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. What a grand mystery. Emmanuel. God with us. Humanity was created as the highest order of creation. None of the other created beings were spoken of as being created in the image of God, the unique image of God. We were set apart to be vice regents, royalty, to rule over all of creation, to have dominion over what God created. But we fell in rebellion and are worthy of judgment for high treason. Meant to live forever, 
Now we're destined for just a few years of scratching along. Meant to mature from glory to greater glory. Now lost in sin and stupidity. Meant to be sons and daughters of the light. Struggling now about in darkness. And this is where we were. This is where we were as a human race at that first advent. Alone, ignorant, wasting away. Decaying monuments to the glory that should have been. And yet God, and yet God sent his son. The second person of the triune God. Who existing from eternity past. In perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. Came in human flesh to walk among us. To die for us. To resurrect for us. To ascend for us. And now to intercede for us. Brought to us by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us and lives among us as the people of God. Emmanuel, God with us. This is a non-negotiable. God became man, born of the virgin. Anything less is sub-Christian. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Once again, Genesis intrudes on our text. Joseph, like Adam, awakes from sleep and takes a wife. But now we have continuity and discontinuity with the Old Testament here. We have continuity and discontinuity with the theme of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 4.1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Imagine, imagine the thoughts that went through her mind. Imagine after this great tragedy that they brought upon themselves, and the sin and sorrow, and the realization that things were not going to happen the way that they'd hoped. But God promised that he was going to bring a seed forth from the woman who had crushed the serpent's head. And now she has her first son, her first son Cain. And she says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Maybe this is him. But it wasn't. He turned out to be a bad man. They had other sons and daughters. And then people began to multiply on the face of the earth. And God began his wondrous work. But how slowly it seemed to have creep through the centuries he narrows down to Abraham, and he's going to build a great nation from him. And then from Isaac and Jacob, and 12 tribes come forth. And then the promise comes peeking through back in Genesis from the tribe of Judah. Shiloh is going to come. And the centuries go by, and a kingly line is established from that tribe. And people long for the coming of the Messiah, the promised one. And the people of God have a wondrous kingdom that then falls and they go into exile and seem almost utterly destroyed, but God preserves them and brings them back into the land, and it's the first century. People sense something's about to break forth. There's electricity in the air. Everybody's looking for Messiah. And now there's the discontinuity from Eve. For now the one born of the new Eve, Mary, is the one promised. He is the one who's going to come and crush the serpent's head. He's the one who's going to come and free his people from sin and death. And it's right at the door. The first advent is all about what God does. And unlike the first Adam, the advent of the last Adam brings new hope. Ada Blackjack was an Inuit woman who was hired 
in a hopeless situation. To make money for her son who needed treatment for tuberculosis, she took a job as a seamstress and a cook for an ill-fated Canadian exploration team. The team wound up on a deserted Siberian island and soon ran out of supplies. So most of the team set off to find help, leaving Ada behind with a sick team member. Hope dwindled as the sick man died, leaving Ada alone in the wilderness. The nights were dark and lonely, and on one frighteningly, frighteningly hopeless day, huge polar bears showed up, and somehow she managed to frighten them off. With hope running out that she would ever see her son again, and after two years of isolation, new hope arrived in the form of a rescue vessel. Taking the money she earned, Ada was able to take her son to Seattle to be cured of tuberculosis and to start a new life. Like Ada Blackjack, the world was shipwrecked and hopeless after the fall of man devastated the created order. But hope loomed ahead in faint, mysterious promises that grew with intensity as the first advent approached. And then it was right at the door as God brought forth new life with the miraculous incarnation of the Son of God. This morning we've seen the advent of new hope. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the advent of your Son, and we thank you for the hope that comes in Him. We thank you for our place in history, looking back upon the first advent and of its ramifications through this age. Cause us to long for the final advent of your Son and to bring others to join us in that longing. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.